0: You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Amen. Thank you. Give her a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hey, let's stand just for another minute. I know we've been on our feet all morning, but exercise is so important. Um, but if we could just maybe close our eyes for a minute... I, I'm I'm almost just cautious to even try to go into preach mode um, when I feel like God gives us space and moments. So I think if we can just lean in um, and create room, um, it'd be super important right now. I was thinking of Moses who's leading uh, God's people on this insane journey of a 40-year commute. And one of the things he does as he led the people, the Bible says he comes to this moment surrounding the glory of the Lord and this conversation they're having. And he, he says, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. Don't lead us from this place. Don't, don't let us go to a different position. And so I think it's important to take moments like this um, and just give God space. Um, and I encourage if you're visiting this morning, um, you know, sometimes we have sermons with five points and you can take practical takeaways from it but sometimes we want to camp around what god's doing in a moment uh, and stay synced to that so father we just we lean into you this morning and god we don't hardly ever know what you're doing in a space like this or in a room like this there's so many stories that you're woven into but god i know that when we give you space is when everything changes So this morning, God, I just want to wait on you. God, we want to wait on you. And Lord, I know that when I say that, I know that you're not distant. And that more than we realize, waiting on you isn't actually waiting on you, it's waiting on us. Because you're more present, and you're always more present than we ever are. So, God, we just take space to allow ourselves to catch up to you this morning. And, God, I pray that every unique story that's in this room, that only your reach and your capacity has room for. God, I pray that your presence would just meet every story in the way that they need this morning, God. Hmm. the last father just go with us the rest of the morning take over every single space in this place and we trust you in Jesus name amen awesome well um, I don't really want to talk about anything now so I'm just gonna kind of flow and navigate a little bit this morning Um, I have a thought and Probably way too many notes for a Sunday morning, but also just really want to lean into this space. Someone did just tell me I have to bring the heat this morning. Um, I don't know how to do that. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how to heat it up in her. You know, like um, I wasn't gifted with the whole preach thing, but I was thinking about the concept of waiting. Um, and it's fall time, so it's it's kind of shopping season. If you're like me, you like to shop in the fall. No, never mind. I didn't say that. Uh, so I went to a store yesterday, and I thought, I'm just going to run in real quick and grab something. And I walked in the store, and as I go into the store, I notice immediately that there is a line for the checkout that wraps almost all the way around the interior of the store. And so when I go in to get what I needed, I saw the line, and let me just portray this for you. Here's the door. I go in the door, I see the line, and I go, nope, and I walk right back out. Um, Why? Because I just don't like to wait on stuff. I don't like to wait on people, don't like to wait for things, don't like to wait on my, my kids. And there was nothing in that store worth enough to me to wait that long, so I left but we live in a culture that is programmed to not wait right we live in a culture um where everything is instant and even if it's not we we're we're given the illusion that we can have it all right now and if you think about just technology for one example everything is literally here just just like this um and to go back from something like that would be brutal to our society it would totally shake and expose this need we have for instant gratification and the weakness we have to delay any of that because we just don't like to wait on stuff and i was thinking um this week for multiple reasons but it's just kind of what the lord was laid on my heart midweek was this concept of waiting on the lord Um, And it's a broad topic that we can't get into this morning, and I'd rather focus on spending some time doing that um, this morning. But I want to share a few thoughts about it. Uh, Let me read this passage, Psalm 130, 5 through 8. It says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. It's a song. That's why he's kind of repeating this. Um, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. We sing about this this morning. For the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. Everybody say him. That's the issue. That's what we're waiting for. So when I read things like this, I'm not just waiting for the redemption I'm waiting for Him because in Him is the redemption can I tell you that so often um, especially in church culture, we get stuck waiting for the things we love a good cliffhanger, that's why we binge watch TV shows, right tell me, what's the worst thing about binge watching something, when you find out it's a weekly release episode instead of all of them being available now. Tell me if I'm wrong. You're almost mad at them. Like, why would they do that? Like, how dare they bring us back to 1998? Well, like, what are they thinking? we got to wait to see what happens next. Uh, and the truth is, we don't even really care. Um, but we, we get on this cliffhanger thing. And we're no different in the church. Because what we do is we uh, try to build church culture around this idea that God's always about to do something. Right? Or that your breakthrough's almost coming. Now, let me say this so no one feels like I'm throwing shade at anybody. Sometimes that's true. But we love the cliffhanger of just hold on five more minutes because he's right around the corner. One more valley, one more season. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's almost here. Oh, I didn't really mean I was joking. You didn't have to actually do that. But we love it because what it does is it, it kind of keeps us in the game, so to speak. It keeps us kind of lingering. It holds us off, dangling off the edge of this thing. And most of the time, we don't even know what it is. If we're honest, a lot of times it's this, it's this hope that we're going to somehow escape the mundane uh, place of routine or the mundane existence that sometimes we, we loathe. What a shame to be alive. But usually we don't even know what it is. But as long as we know it's coming, we're looking for it. But what if waiting was never about waiting? What if waiting on the Lord actually isn't about waiting for something? What if it's not about waiting for some breakthrough or some redemption or some... All those things are great, but what if the issue's never actually been about the thing and it's always been about Him? If I wait on the Lord and in him is redemption, then when I get him, I get everything that I need. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added. But so often we look for the things and leverage God as this magical genie to help us get there. And so we try to appease him with performance faith, doing the right thing, saying the right mantra, and getting the right motto down, or fasting the right way, enough hours. And again, all these things can be great in a healthy context. But usually, we're chasing after something to manifest when he's been the issue the entire time. This word, um, way, I'm no expert. Does anybody know Hebrew here? perfect you won't know if i don't know it so here we go um there's this hebrew word called kavaz the word for wait in this passage and we're going to look at another passage here in a bit with it but it says i wait for the lord And this uh word literally means to bind together perhaps by twisting to intertwine something Uh, it also means to expect to gather to look patiently to tarry to wait waiting in expectation you even see this word sometimes. It's very closely uh, related to the word hope in the Hebrew. It's uh, part of the same word. And so they're kind of intertwined. There's not really one without the other. So this isn't waiting. Like waiting on the Lord's not the same as waiting on McDonald's. Okay? You're not waiting for a thing, you're waiting in expectation. You're not waiting passively just doing nothing you're waiting actively that's why he writes like the watchman uh look for the morning more than that i'm waiting on the lord they're not asleep they know kind of what's coming but they're looking for something right and we sing about this concept this morning my hope is in the lord this is what waiting is that my hope my expectation is there When I think about this word to bind together, could it be that waiting on the Lord isn't so much about waiting for something to come to pass as it is about binding together with Him on the way there? Which means the waiting isn't really about the waiting, it's about being bound together and allowing my life and my rhythm to be intertwined with His. And when we pursue it in that way, it's no longer about the thing. My heart's not captivated. Here's what I love about this. If my heart's no longer captivated about when or when not my thing shows up, and it's more captivated by him, that means it's no longer subject to disappointment based on whether or not the thing shows up. See, we can avoid so much disappointment when Jesus is the thing that we're binding ourselves to, right? Um, all that to say though, I still hate waiting. Amen. Absolutely hate it with all of my heart. Kara can tell you, um, I'm a future person. So, uh, I don't know if I've told you this before. Forgive me if I uh, have, but one of these habits I have, and my daughter calls me out on it every time now. So she's like retraining me, but in my mind, I'm always ahead. So like if I'm pulling into the house, um, I have started to unbuckle and basically get out of the car before I've even gotten the driveway. I'm not exaggerating. Is this not true? I'm not lying. Uh, This is just how impatient I think I am. Uh, And I used to say, oh, I'm a visionary. Uh, That's not. I'm just impatient. And so I'll literally be unbuckled. The car beeps, tells you you're unbuckled. And I'm like, the house is down the road. So now my daughter calls me out every time. She's helping me anchor into the present because I don't like to wait uh, for stuff. And I really do think the Lord, more than ever, wants us to learn to be anchored in the present. And not just our present, but His present. To be bound together with Him, to be intertwined in expectation means that i'm not just looking for an outcome i'm looking for the rhythm to get there the way that he does right here here's an example um when our daughter gets out of the car she's only four and if certain areas like a parking lot or obviously a road she likes to kind of run ahead and so what daddy says is hey uh ellie wait for daddy And here's the next part Hold daddy's hand Right And so when someone holds hands What do you do You bind together You intertwine Because in holding her hand now I can set the pace of her journey She's not running toward danger She's not lagging behind Even though sometimes she goes dead leg on me And I have to drag her But what it means is At least I can drag her Because we're bound together This is what it's like to wait on the Lord. It's not like I'm waiting on the Lord to to like you know remember that I'm here. (laughs) You ever been in one of those seasons you think God just like forgot about you or your thing, or didn't hear you? And could it be that He's just saying, "Hey, just come hold my hand"? But if you're like me, sometimes I'm so consumed with where I'm going or the thing that I forget the entire thing is about holding his hand and learning to get there the way that he does. See, she learns to catch my rhythm. When, When we do the simplest thing like walking in the store, she's in my rhythm. She's walking in the store the way that dad walks in the store. That's what waiting on the Lord is. It's not about the destination. It's about how you get to the destination through this process of being intertwined with the rhythm and the hope of the Lord. Amen. Um, everybody say active. There's this kind of you know, mindset of actively waiting on something. And when waiting isn't waiting, here's what happens. Um, again, waiting on the Lord means that, not waiting on the thing. So what happens is when we're waiting on the Lord, we're actively waiting in expectation and hope. It's productive waiting. When we're waiting on the thing, here's where we tend to go. We start reactively waiting. Okay? So waiting on the Lord means I'm actively waiting. It's a good thing. When I'm waiting for the thing or the place or the position or the breakthrough or the whatever it is, that's the realm I tend to reactively wait. Okay, I want to think about uh, the story. Everybody remember Abraham, Father Abraham, many sons, right arm, left arm. Everybody knows that song. He's given a promise. He's given a thing. Um, Him and Sarah uh, are older. I think roughly about 75 years old when they're given this promise of a son to come. And not just a son, but they'd be the father of nations. So you've kind of got some lineage that has to play out here. Um, And that's, you know, kind of a tricky circumstance. Now, probably at 75, they look at themselves and think, okay, you know, if we go on keto and do the right things, we might could pull this off. God's good, like paired with his, you know, stuff and our stewardship. You know, just get, I could see God doing this. Here's what he didn't know. It'd be 25 more years at the ripe old seasoned age of 100 before Isaac would show up. Abraham did not know he was going to have to wait that long. Now, Abraham had this amazing capacity to kind of always come and tether back to the Lord, but there were moments that he didn't because what happened is this. When you're waiting on something and it's not there yet and you start to look at the circumstance and that circumstance starts to outweigh the level of your expectation and your hope, here's immediately what we do is our eyes shift to watching the clock. And I'm sure in their mind, the clock is ticking because I'm 75 years old. I'm sure at about 78, he thought, okay, we got to get this, you know, baby kind of coming on. I mean, I can't imagine at like 83, what he's thinking. Like, okay, God, uh, I love you and I trust you and I want to wait on you. Uh, But (laughs) there's some. I mean, the clock, man, come on. Probably 95. You see this part where they get tired of waiting on the thing. Here's how you know if you're reactively waiting, because you get tired of it. See, when we're waiting on the Lord, there's a rejuvenation, and we'll read the, the greatest hits verse here in just a bit. But there's this thing that comes with it. When it's really in this pocket of waiting on the Lord, there's life that comes with it. But when you're not waiting on the Lord and just waiting on the thing, you're going to get tired. And so Abraham and Sarah get tired because they're watching the clock. They're overwhelmed by their circumstance. It's kind of impossible, even though they trust an impossible God and they're trying to figure out this equation. What do they do? Abraham sleeps with Hagar. He's trying to speed it up. You ever like gone on a car trip, and let's say it's 10 hours, what's the worst part of the trip? It's the last hour. The worst part. The hardest part of waiting is when you're almost there, right? Because here's what you do in the last hour. You've fought a good fight nine hours in. You feel good. You've gained some ground, but you're like, could we just be there? And here's, I don't know about you. Maybe it's, I I need help, But in that last hour, here's what I do. I watch the clock. I start looking at it. And it just moves so much slower than it did the first nine hours. And the clock didn't change. It's me that's changing. My perspective's changing. It's shifted. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, but here's the other thing that I do since I start looking at the thing and the circumstance is I start reactively waiting instead of enjoying the ride and smelling. Well, I'm not smelling anything in the car unless it was something I got in a drive-thru. Uh, but I'm not enjoying the journey. I'm now counting down until my deliverance from this frustration of being stuck in the car. And in reactively waiting, what I do is I s- speed up just a little bit. True story, if there's any cops in the room, this is my friend, it wasn't me. Um, But let's pretend it's me for the sake of the story. What I do is I start to calculate how many miles over the speed limit I can get away with and how much quicker that will put me there. And I'm like, man, if I just go like seven over the whole way for the next hour, I'll get there seven miles faster. This is kind of where Abraham was, right? Right watching the clock, seeing the circumstance, they're tired of waiting. They love God, they trust God, but they're tired of waiting. And so they try to speed up. And he goes and they uh, have an Ishmael moment, right? Now here's the problem with Ishmael. Uh, God's going to bless him like he's going to have grace over this whole situation. That's the beauty of the father, but Ishmael will never be the promise that God had. And it will never be a substitute for the promise. God will never allow the thing that he promised to come a different way than the way that he promised. Right? Which is why it's so important that we wait on the Lord and not the thing. Because if I'm waiting on the thing, I'm going to speed up and hijack the process. Rather than be bound together with the Father through the journey, I'm going to try to create it myself. Can I tell you this um, and maybe sum it up this way? Ishmael is in the reaction, but Isaac only comes in the waiting. The promise of God for our life only comes when we truly learn to wait actively in expectation, intertwining ourselves together with the Lord. Not waiting on the thing, but waiting with the Father. Amen? Full transparency. I. And maybe I'll get better at it. I still don't like it. I just don't like to wait. But it's so much better when I learn to wait in his rhythm. Right? Here's how we know that we're reactively waiting. Number one is we get tired. But number two is this. And maybe just give space here this morning. Maybe we can just pray over some of these things at the end. But what we do sometimes is this this fear rises up that we're going to miss something. Anybody got FOMO? You know what that is? Fear of missing out? Um, my wife does. But that thing creeps in. And it shows up this way. It's like this weird... Anxiousness in the waiting that says you're going to miss your window. You've got to hurry up. You've got to speed up. Man, that's not the Lord. When did you see Jesus ever panic about missing his window? Full view of the Father in the flesh. Wasn't worried about anything. In fact, he did the opposite. He comes and he takes his time god in the flesh the redeemer of the world would come and allow himself to be subject to human formation he would grow as a child he would go through all the things that a young man would he would emerge into adulthood he would learn he would work he would submit he would do all the normal human things for 30 years without running around screaming he's the redeemer the one guy who can fix it all took his time in the middle of it all. Because there was no sense of, ah, oh, I've got to hurry, I'm going to miss this window. And Jesus is someone who knows the Father's plan for his life, so he knows uh, kind of what he came to do and what is, is going to play out, but he was in no hurry to get there. In fact, he spent his present time binding himself together with those at his table those in his proximity, those in his region. From city to city, he went and intertwined the very life and the very nature and the rhythm of God with people who in their own perspective were always in a hurry, but here's God in the flesh, washing feet. No anxiety, no fear, no speeding up, no watching the clock. He knew exactly what time it was. When his mom pressed him, he said, hey, you know, my, my time has not yet come. He knew exactly where he was supposed to be. Can I tell you where we're exactly supposed to be? Present with the Father. That is the thing. In fact, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing, which means he was so bound in unison with the way the father was getting there to redemption that he never felt the need to press it, to step on the gas or get there sooner or create an Ishmael because he was so in sync with the father. And that's what waiting on the Lord is. It's that I'm taking my heart and my obsession off of the thing. And I'm allowing him to become the thing. Because when I seek this, everything else comes later. Jesus is such a beautiful model, but sometimes we let fear come in and stir us into this place of hurry. Amen? Instead of waiting in hope. Um, Now, let me point this out before we read some more passages. Um, Because I always want to balance this with what do we do. And when I think about a story like Abraham and Sarah, it's a good example. God calls us to things and promises things. Um, What he doesn't normally do, he can but he doesn't normally, is do everything. Okay? Part of expectation and actively waiting is that we learn our part and we learn his part. And the second we try to do his part is when we're reactively waiting. Abraham's trying to do God's part. He's trying to bring this thing quicker uh, than God's timing, right? Now, Abraham and Sarah had a part to play. We can't talk about it in church, but it's, they had a part, right? And all they could do is do their part. Uh, practically, when you're tired of waiting and you're not seeing whatever it is, um, just make sure you're just doing your part, But don't try to do his part. But also, don't not do your part. Don't over spiritualize. Let me just clarify this because I've done this too, guilty party. I'll throw rocks at myself. Um, What we can't do is wait on the Lord for everything and do nothing. Like, here's a practical example you can't argue with. I don't think you can. Uh, I'm waiting on the Lord to tie my shoes. Would you just tie him? Right? I'm waiting on the Lord uh, to fix my marriage. And this is one of those cases where he's going to help. But you have some responsibility in the journey. Right? And it's a great example because if I want God to fix my... My marriage isn't broken. It's just an example. Um, But if I want God to fix my, quote, marriage... Um, The way he's going to help me is through me yielding and waiting on him through the process of binding myself together, binding our marriage together with him, inviting him into the space. Now, he is not going to make me love my wife. That's genie Jesus, right? Right? That's genie Jesus. We, again, when we're, when we're thing obsessed, God becomes our genie rather than our father. Right? Amen? And that's not how God's going to fix my marriage. God's going to call me to do certain things and partner with him. But it's through that binding together that things get restored. Okay? Um, I don't want to do his part, but I also don't want to forsake doing mine, if that makes sense. Practical. I don't want God to tie my shoes. Um, let me say it like this. God won't come and fix what you're responsible for. Amen. Amen. Tie your own shoes. Write it down like that. Tie your own shoes. Hmm. Abraham couldn't do God's part. I'm thinking about Isaiah. This is the passage, uh, Isaiah 40. Everybody knows this. I'm not going to deep dive because I'm, I'm done here in five minutes. Um, That's a lie. You have to wait. You have to wait until we're done. Um, Isaiah 40, 31, greatest hits, Bible verse. Quick context here. Isaiah's prophesied in exile. He's been uh, pretty much rejected by a lot of God's people. Pushed back on. In fact, Isaiah dies without certain things coming to pass. So for a time, he kind of died a false prophet in a lot of people's eyes. It wasn't until later that uh, things happened. And Isaiah is broken down in a couple, a few parts, but primarily these first like 39 verses are this uh, kind of warning that, hey, you're about to go through some stuff, but there is a hope. Um, Not an exciting prophetic word that you want to get. And so sure enough... um, The Israelites are in exile. They're taken into Babylon, which is the anti-type of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem's been um, laid waste to. They've been moved, I think think it's like 900 miles away or something. I don't remember. Um, Long car trip. And they're in a place that is the exact opposite of everything that they stand for as the, quote, people of God. And so Isaiah's coming... Um, and prophesying this word in the latter half of this thing. Because what he said was, you're going to be exiled, but there's a coming hope. But then there was a time that this hope came. In fact, some scholars think uh, that this latter part was actually implemented by some of Isaiah's followers because he was gone, and so when the time came, they broke back out the scrolls and said, oh, now check this out, It's is an on-time word, right? Amen, pastor. And so they're starting to kind of be the heralds of this thing, and we don't know all the details of that, but it's an interesting timeline. But this is where this uh, word comes from, and here's what he's saying. He says, but those who hope... I put the wrong translation up here. Uh, Everyone read this as those who wait on the Lord. The NIV, the nearly inspired version, translates it on the hope side. Um, But those who wait on the Lord... Will renew their strength. Now, again, hear this. Those who bind themselves together with, those who wait in expectation, those literally like this says, those who hope in Him. Not hope for the thing, but in Him. Those who wait on. Hey, thanks, man. Guys, come on. Those guys are raised. Those who wait. And the Lord will renew their strength. Soar on wings like eagles, they'll run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Here was the problem a lot of the Jews had gotten comfortable and didn't want to go back. 70 years in exile, right? 70 years of getting used to where well, you've been exiled to, and 70 years of not waiting well. In fact, if we read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, refrigerator verse. The context is brutal, though, because he's speaking to those who are in exile. And part of that scene is also, hey... Uh, I want you to plant gardens. I want you to have sons and have them have sons and daughters. And I want you to seek the prosperity of the city. Hold on a second. You want me to like stay here for a while? In other words, you're here on purpose and it's going to be a while. Like that's... And so they're there for 70 years, and here comes this kind of pivot in Isaiah where it's time for the people to return to Jerusalem, and uh, God's kind of given them a, another exodus. And he said, even, even when he talks about wings of eagles, it's an echo back to Exodus when he said, didn't I deliver you on wings of eagles? Like, they kind of understand what's happening here. But some of them had gotten so comfortable that they didn't want to move. Why? Because they weren't actively waiting on the lord anymore they were occupying babylon and they had gotten so comfortable in the rhythm of babylon that they no longer needed the rhythm of god can i can i just tell you this when when we learn to wait on the thing eventually the thing doesn't come because the waiting wasn't really about the waiting anyway it was about sinking up to him Um, And so when the thing doesn't come, disappointment grips the heart, and we learn to get comfortable in our Babylon when the Lord actually has a way out. A a practical example, sometimes we spend enough time waiting the wrong way that we get so comfortable. It could be sin, sin. It could be brokenness. It could be just dysfunction. But we get so comfortable with those things that even when the word of the Lord comes, said, "Hey, it's time to get out." It's hard. It's hard to leave a place that we've attached to when we're comfortable there. Waiting on the Lord, man. It's. I think it's. Weird in the sense that it can be the most uncomfortable and comfortable thing at the same time. It breaks you and heals you all in the same swipe. And they're comfortable. Saying, man, it's, it's 900 miles back, I don't think. There's bandits out there, there's a lot of danger. Like The people, I mean, come on, this is the lineage of people who were delivered supernaturally... From Egypt. This is their God. The God who had to put them in time out because they're crazy. And he's saying, Hey, I still have a plan, there's still a promise, but I'm the issue and you're not coming to me. Do you, do you understand that the, the whole exodus and why they're wandering and didn't enter into the promised land is because they kept attaching themselves to are we there yet instead of the one who is providing. They were so obsessed with there and they were so obsessed with here once they realized it was going to take a little bit longer than a couple days to get there they got tired of waiting and multiple times they start to murmur and complain against the very ones that they used to celebrate God, come on, like my provider and there he is faithfully fire by night, cloud by day bread falling from the sky oceans parting like, come on Literally, there he is. The presence of God going before them, all around them. Like, he is the main thing, and they just could never see the main thing. Their hearts were hardened and tethered to the thing that wasn't there yet. And it was never about waiting for the promised land. You know what was tricky? I'm going to wind this down, and I just want to pray for us. But Moses... Man, did his best. Doesn't enter the promised land. Forty years leading these guys. Forty years twisting their arm back to, hey, just trust God. And he doesn't even get to enter in the thing that he longed to see. But then I always think about that moment where later Jesus is standing there and there appears to him Moses and Elijah. And you see this place because remember Moses goes up to the mountain he comes down his face is glowing. I think it's funny he goes to the mountain uh, to get instruction from the Lord and he goes up there and has to wait six days. And then on the seventh the Lord comes. Moses come on up and then wait. God is so awesome at saying, hurry up and wait. It's just great. Moses goes up there and he waits, which I actually think is symbolic because six speaks of the number of labor and man, and on the seventh, God arrested. because the place that we really encounter God is when we learn to bind together and do life in the place of his rest, not just our labor. And sometimes we don't bind together long enough to get free from waiting reactively and learn what it means to wait in the rest of God. But I always think it's funny because there they are in the middle looking for this thing and obsessed with this thing in the distance to the point they look right past the one that is with them. And that was the issue. Fast forward, Jesus shows up. A culture. I want to read this passage really quick. I think I've got it in here. John 1.10 through 12. One of my favorite verses to ponder. It says that he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He came to his own and they didn't recognize him. He came to his own and they didn't receive him. What is that saying? Well, first off, his own are the ones who are supposed to be actively waiting on literally the Lord, the Messiah to come. They're literally looking for him. Not really, but that's what they say they were doing. And in looking for him, usually means they're looking for him the way that they thought he would come. And that didn't happen. But usually when we get fixated on the way we think it's going to happen, we're looking right past the fact that it's already happened and he's sitting at their table. How fascinating that they're looking for the Messiah and he is literally washing their feet, breaking their bread, serving the multitudes, and they're looking for the Messiah. Waiting on the Lord, and there he is the entire time. Waiting on the Lord to come and fix it. And the blind are seeing, the dead are raised. Come on, this is the Israelites. Waiting for the promised land, but man is falling, oceans are parting. Because waiting on the Lord is not about waiting on something. Something. It's about being tethered to him in the waiting. And just like Abraham and Sarah, the promise only comes in the waiting. We will only ever get Ishmael's out of reaction, but Isaac's are only ever born through the waiting and the binding together with the Father. Last thought here. Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah. And I don't know, the Bible's not clear, but immediately I get excited for Moses because I always thought, man, Moses enters in death without seeing this thing, leading faithfully, doing his best, missing some marks. But he had two main requests. One was, I want to see your glory, God. And then he had this desire to. And call to enter into the promised land. And I think what is beautiful about this scene where Moses and Elijah appears, uh, which is a lot of layers we can't talk about this morning, but one thing's really clear Moses got both prayer requests answered in that moment. And here's what Moses had to realize. And again, I'll ask him later. This is me assuming. He realized first, the glory of God was in the face of Jesus. In the Old Covenant, he couldn't see it. He couldn't look at his face and live. But now in this moment, he's seeing unveiled the glory of God face to face. But also in this moment, he's probably realizing after the fact that the promised land was never a place to begin with. It was a person. That our destination isn't about something that God can provide for me. My destination is God Himself. If any man be in Christ, He is new in that context. My redemption is in the One. I'm not looking for my redemption to come around the corner or fly through uh, because I prayed the right prayer. I'm looking for the One who holds my everything because in the middle of Him is anything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I want When he is mine, when I'm bound to him, when I'm tethered to him. Waiting on the Lord is not waiting for stuff, it's being intertwined with him. It's not getting to the destination, it's learning to walk with him. And in that context, We no longer obsess over the destination Because we realize it was never a place But it's a person Amen So let's pray And um, I know you guys waited a little longer than normal For this sermon to be over But if you could just stand I want to pray for us this morning I want to pray some specific things And um and if any of these just hit you, I encourage you, like if you need prayer after, grab someone and there'll be some people up here willing to pray with you. But Father, I just I pray for anyone who in their heart have been comfortable in the realm of disappointment because they've been there so long that they've maybe not lost, but. Have gone dormant in the art of just waiting in expectation for you. And God, here's the truth our Christian bullet points can't fix some of the deepest layers that we navigate, but your presence can. Being bound with you can. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that supernaturally your presence would touch anyone who's comfortable in a place that's not the place you've called them to. And I'm reminded, I just want to speak this over us as a church. The thing that brought the prodigal back to the father was his discomfort. His identity was at war with his position he remembered who he was who the father was and he realized i'm out of place so father i pray that we would have that revelation this morning god that anyone who's gotten comfortable in exile would have hope stir would remember that you're the god you're the thing And secondly, God, I pray for any of us who, and and we all do it, but any of us who have attached our hope to the thing rather than you. God, may we be satisfied with you, with your presence. And God, I pray that you just give us supernatural grace to learn to wait and not run ahead to not react but to create space in these moments of our lives where our greatest desire is to see how you'll walk through it and in that place God Give us the grace to intertwine our hand with yours and learn how dad walks through the parking lot, how dad walks through situations, how dad walks through a marriage, how dad walks through depression, how dad walks through illness, how dad walks through these things. God, I I need to know how you walk through this stuff. Here's the biggest issue of it all, God. And we say this this morning that we trust you. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.